Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Friday, August the 25th. It is now just a little bit after 8.30 in Texas, America. I'm going to do a little something here because we are having an interesting gremlin. The last time that I spoke with you guys, you mentioned that the audio level was too low. And I'm going to fix that right now. So, interestingly enough, we have a device that we run. It's called Loopback. It allows me to um, run multiple audio sources in to our stream. And for some reason, I set it at 100% audio, and then I watch it, and it just adjusts downward, 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 and downward. And I have no idea why. But all of you in the chat that are constantly saying hello to the rat bastards at the FBI, I don't know if it's related, but I have not found a single setting that would allow it to constantly adjust audio downward. It is a strange, strange thing to do with uh, Steve Friend and I have been trying to uh, sort of shortcut this problem all morning since we got started. So I've got it loud and clear right now because we're going direct. We are not using the software, but man, something pretty strange going on there. We will... um, We'll spend the weekend working on this. So a lot of you were asking about baby updates, uh, water break. We are pending the drop zone. We are over the DZ, and I imagine that there will be a new Seraphim baby pretty soon. Thanks for all of you joining us in the chat. We do really appreciate it. I want to say thanks to our sponsors. I think we're going to have an interesting uh, conversation today with Steve Friend, a little weekly wrap-up. It's been a ridiculously and historic week. Again, in fact, to the point where we have historic fatigue, I would say. And I got a surprise guest for you guys in just a minute as well. So uh, let me say thanks to sponsors really quickly. Let's start with uh, Patriot Coolers. Here they are. These are my friends over at Patriot Coolers. You go to patriotcoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. That'll get you 10% off. There's other ways to do it, but that one lets them know that we sent you. You can also check out their their hard coolers, their their tumblers, their uh, merch. They've got a soft pack, which is really, really helpful if you've got kids and you want to move around, take some uh, cool snacks, especially as you guys were talking about in the chat, 108 degrees around the country, 105 degrees here in Texas on the regular. It has been over 100 for a lot of days. So being able just to keep your your snacks at room temperature is really helpful and a lightweight backpack that will hold a water bottle and some of the others. Pretty useful. So there it is. Um, Once again, patriotcoolers.com, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Support a a great company that's been kind of with us since the beginning, and uh, they reached out and renewed with us. We're really appreciative of their support. Also want to say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote. You guys can go to catholicvote.org. We're going to be talking about some stuff that was in the loop this morning, but you can sign up for the loop. They are a, a Catholic advocacy organization that believes in the faith the fight for uh, faith, family, and freedom, that does not require you to be a Roman Catholic by any means. In fact, a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with Catholicism at all. It has uh, some pro-life articles. It has some articles about what's going on in the culture war, um, some things about that are just going on that are news. The uh, Today's Loop is going to be talking about Trump being booked in, uh, in Georgia, so we're going to talk about that for sure. It's got an FBI official testifying be- behind closed doors. We're actually talking about that today. Talking about the Maui fires, you're going to be interested in that. Trans predators in Wisconsin prisons. There's a whole bunch of stuff in these Loop emails that I think you guys will find of value. So check those things out. And then uh, lastly, and I think we've got a little bit of a pick here for it. I think we should be able to bring up. This is the Suspendables website. It's the-suspendables.com. And our friend, G-O-B, actual Gerardo Boyle, slinging t-shirts. If you guys are looking for merch, we actually do have a couple. You can support the Suspendables and specifically support Garrett O'Boyle with this uh, endeavor. We have the website, the-suspendables.com. If you leave the dash out, you're going to go to a hockey website. And that is not the same as what we are about. Um, All that being said, let's launch into it here. Let me start bringing on some human beings that are my friends. How about this guy? You guys know him? There he is. That's the real Steve Friend. Hey, buddy. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And would you know know it? We have another interesting cat. Let me bring this guy on. Who's this guy? There he is. Are you you slumped down? I'm going to have you turn your camera downward, although you have some cool stuff. You've been... You could tell Garrett has moved into a new location. He's been able to, uh, there it is. Look at this. He's got the, the, the camera That's the skills. only time I've ever been taller than Garrett in my life. Yeah, and it won't happen again, unfortunately. You're doing a great job. All right, y'all. So these are the suspendables. We're going to talk about some articles. I'll put myself into a little small space here. We're going to bring up some articles to talk about. The first thing that's been going on this week, which I think, like I said, historic and insane, is the fact that our former president has been indicted yet a fourth time and then brought in to get mugshots done. Because everybody is treated the same. There is no special justice 
other than the special justice of a guy who didn't go to Georgia and apparently committed Rico while doing a thing that is just a political action, talking about the standards and the issues that you might have with an election. I'm going to pull this sucker up. Let's just bear with me as we do this one. Kaboom. There it is. There you are, gentlemen. Um, Trump booked into the Fulton County Jail after charges stemming from the 2020 election probe. Did you guys ever do any probes when you were working for the FBI? Did you ever initiate a probe? <laughs> Can't I say never that did. I did. <laughs> but I, I, you worked in New Mexico, so that's that's where the probing would go on for all those uh, extraterrestrial investigations. That is factual. That is correct. So they sent the bail for, for Trump at $200,000. Right. We saw this uh, pop up. This was yesterday. Um, big sort of to do. And then it also resulted in Donald Trump returning to Twitter. Does the world change when Donald Trump gets back on Twitter? Not for the 90 plus percent of people who are unaware of what goes on on that website. Or I mean, we can't call it Twitter anymore. Right. It's X. I can call it whatever I want. I'm, I'm an American. I still call it Twitter. That's right. Garrett, what do you think? Have you, did you see his tweet, by the way? Uh, I saw his truth post. I didn't see his tweet yet. It was simply a mugshot. And I wonder, actually, I may be able to pull it up on, on another screen here, but it was his mugshot and it just said, never surrender. I have a couple thoughts on this. Send it. But wait, <laughs> wait, can I just interject one thing? Yes. Him going to Georgia was him surrendering, was it not? He was presenting himself to the courts. I don't know if that is a surrender. It doesn't mean that he's given up the fight, but yeah, yeah. in some ways, I mean, they did call it a surrender, right? It's a that's what we would call that if somebody came in and turned themselves in. I mean, you know, I saw the mugshot and I thought perhaps I will render it down to a simpler image and, and put it on the back of a T-shirt. It is a and really, really aggressive mugshot as far as those go. It is. You know, I, I think I heard on Bongino, he said that uh, Trump should not have paid the bail and he should have just sat, he should there. Just sat there. And I like that take. I mean, that that would get people riled up. Just think about the crisis that would create for the Secret Service that would have to go through and just set up the prison for their... Uh, the county jail. Nice. Right? In Fulton County, which I'm sure is really nice and has probably really nice facilities. The outside looks okay, as we're seeing on the screen right now. I'm going to read a little bit here from this uh, this article, and I'll let you guys continue on. It says, the court set the bail at $200,000. He was quickly processed and released. Uh, jail records stated that Trump stands 6 feet 3 inches and 215 pounds. And the record stated that his hair is either blonde or strawberry with blue eyes. Uh, there is the picture for those of you who are watching on our Rumble channel. That is a pretty, that is a pretty irritated looking man. Uh, pretty iconic in most ways too. Wearing a suit, power blue, red tie uh, with that little logo. So some people have gone out there and made a, a little meme cre creation option. So you can actually create your own Fulton <laughs> County Sheriff's Department uh, booking photo, if you like to stand in support with the president and people have, but the other thing is of course, 12 other people were involved or uh, 17 other people, I guess were involved in this. And so you had people like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis and a bunch of others. Jenna Ellis was smiling in her photo. Do they generally recommend a smiling mugshot? Is that, does that play well? No, uh, I think it sort of distorts the view. If you ever need to locate you again, it's kind of like your passport photo. It distorts but, the view. But she's a happy warrior. Jen Ellis is, uh, you know, she's she's obviously not going to get any support from uh, from Team Trump on this because she's now in the DeSantis camp. Right. But you know, she, I heard her talking, and she makes a really good point. And I think the uh, the overarching problem here is she worked as a lawyer for a client, and the state of Georgia indicted her for being a counsel for a person who they don't like. So yeah, truly, truly sort of unprecedented options. The thing that's so crazy to me is that uh, now people are digging into the tweets of this Fannie Willis, this woman who is the uh, the DA, who obviously is a politician. That's how you get a DA job. You don't have to be a good lawyer. You just run for office and you get elected. And the interesting thing was she was also challenging the results of the 2020 election on November 3rd, November 4th, saying we need to protect the integrity of Georgia elections. So this stuff has been set up for a long time. I'm going to read Trump's quote. He just said, this should never have happened. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should every right... I should have every right to do that. And as you know, many people that you've been watching over the years have done the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams, many others. I think he's right. You know, this is a travesty in many ways, which is his actual words. He says that uh, when you have great freedom to challenge, you'll have uh, you'll if you don't have the great freedom to challenge, then you're going to have dishonest elections. And that seems to be the case. This seems like a free speech cut and dry scenario. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think it goes back to what you were talking about a couple of days ago, the Kobayashi Maru. Their side is thinking outside the box. They're just throwing things at it and saying, well, let's find out what happens here. They're, and our side continues to just play by the rules and saying, look, this old dusty document says that I have a First Amendment right and I can do this, that and the other. And they're saying, well, I don't recognize the social compact that exists. We don't, uh, that document isn't legitimate to us anymore. So it's an asymmetrical confrontation where one side is following a set of rules and the other side is making up the rules as it goes along. So I think there needs to be a turnabout as fair play here. I, back to him, whether or not he surrendered himself or he brought it, presented himself, whatever you want to label it. Why did he go? Why didn't he just stay home in Mar-a-Lago and say, I'm refusing to surrender? He already has the governor saying that um, he's not going to participate in, in assisting another state with their political persecutions of him. So he's got the, the governor's support there. And he exists in a compound. I mean, I guess the that would force the Fulton County authorities to get a UFAP through the FBI to come and arrest him at Mar-a-Lago, and then you would have a blue-on-blue situation. But, I mean, that we should see that play out. He should never have surrendered at all. He should have just refused to present himself, and, and now what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I think there's some really strange things that could happen. He's playing a different ball game, so we'll see how it works out for him. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling really good about it. Garrett, do you have any uh, novel thoughts on that? Uh, probably nothing too novel, but... Uh, I think Steve's point about the Kobayashi Maru, which I thought was a great episode and take by you, combined with I just the bring whole my br- idea- I bring my friends on to just talk about how great I am. That's really nice. Of me. <laughs> uh, you say you're not a nerd, but every time you talk, you talk about Star Trek I and know. Star Wars. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see the action figures. Uh, no I, action. I love it. The movie quotes. Before too long, I'm going to be dropping big Lebowski bombs the rest of the episode. But um, uh, no, also with Saul Alinsky and and that whole ordeal that we talked about, um, I don't know, a week or two ago. Uh, But they are they have a different handbook and and they don't care what the rules are. I mean, if that's not clear at this point, I don't know when it will be, because it's very clear to me. I mean, I've been saying probably man, probably since I became a cop, at least that, that we are on a slippery slope and I think we're in full free fall. You know, that, that slope has been, has been iced and we're, we're sliding down it as fast as we can. Did you just get out of the shower, Garrett? I did. Yes. I can see that on your shirt. That's nice. That's a good looking suspendable yeah. shirt. That's one of our merch people, right? Oh yeah. This Guys, is uh, one of the, one of the, uh, prototypes. For sure. I, I will also tell you that regarding action figures, the only action figure interaction I had was when I was living in an apartment in uh, in Burbank when I was working at a movie studio at 27. My roommate moved in with a ton of action figures. He was like in his 30s and he was like that guy. We had two 19-year-old college roommates. They had bunk beds and they were living like dorm life in one room of the apartment. We had this guy who was in his 30s and he was a creep and I was in my mid-20s. And he had hundreds and hundreds of action figures and they were like Transformers and Boba Fett and all the things. I don't know what they were. And uh, he went out for like an extended weekend or something. And I moved them around the entire house and I took all of his DVDs, which were alphabetically (laughs) organized. And I put them in like every box of cereal. They filled in every single slot in the, uh, in the dishwasher. I put them in every single drawer of every single furniture piece in the entire house. I put one in every single cushion of every single part of the seats. It's like a classic roommate prank when you have too much time in your hands. Um, I put them, you know, like everywhere. I had the action figures like hanging from the little strings that come off your fan and your light. Like they were everywhere. It was insane. And um, he didn't much care for that. It was, it was frowned upon to touch another man's action figures, but I thought it was, should be frowned upon to have action figures at that age. That was just me. I I worked with a guy who was like that. He had them around his desk and he was a big, Marvel Universe guy, DC superheroes, Star Wars. He had all the uh they're collectibles, right? They're not they're not action figures, they're not toys. <laughs> That's correct. But, my, but my, my kid would come in and I would just take him over to his desk because my kid is a kid and likes watching those movies. So he would be excited to see them. And he would just ask me, he's like, he was like, Dad, how's your friend with all his toys? Does he have more toys? Because I want to go play with his toys. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, kids understand that these are toys. Um, it's like, don't touch them. Leave them in the box. They lose their value. You know what loses their value? Uh, your self-worth has been degraded because you it's own the a comic bunch book of- guy from The Simpsons. That's that's what right. they are as they grow up. It's tough. I actually did have a friend in college who was like that. And I'm sure some of his stuff. If he sold his collection and was able to turn that into... I don't know, enough for him to live on for two years. That would have been worthwhile, but that's not what these guys do. They just hoard it. Um, I don't want to get too far afield in that. Let me let me bring this uh, article up here. This is from uh, Daily Signal. This is uh, Tyler O'Neill, who we've talked about before. He's gotten pretty deep in on what's going on 
with the FBI story. And uh, what we're seeing here is that uh, a judge in this is like sort of the, you talk about playing outside the rules, talk, talk about playing uh, with a different set of rules. It's not indoctrination, says a federal judge. The federal judge is rejecting Maryland parents plea to restore the opt out for LGBTQ books and pride presentations. And so we have a U.S. district court. So that's a federal judge denying Maryland parents the request to allow their kids to opt out of instruction using pride storybooks. Um, and you have a group of people that are atheists, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and other parents demanding that they can opt out of this LGBTQ book curriculum for pre-K through fifth grade. This is not for, for high school kids who have to go and step into the world and know that this is out there. We need to make sure that these kids are indoctrinated, says this Maryland district judge. I'm going to read a couple little pieces and I'll let you guys respond. As parents, it says, although Maryland law allows schools to allow parents, requires schools to allow parents to opt out of sexuality instruction and provide notices for such lessons. New policies adopted in March exclude any opt-out rights for this. So that's good. And then the parents sued, requesting a preliminary injunction from the Montgomery County School District. Montgomery County, right outside of Washington, D.C. Garrett, you would have been nearby there if you had taken your new post. So mm -hmm. a place I'm fairly familiar with and definitely a lefty kind of place. But, you know, there's still conservatives living in every lefty blue area. Um, if you live in Maryland, you're behind enemy lines, folks. You already know that. You're on the wrong side of the state lines and you are dealing with tyranny. But this district judge uh, rejected. Of course, it was a female district judge. I'm sure that's not related. Uh, the parents motion on Thursday. And it says that uh, the, that the judge, that the, the parents who are suing have not shown that the district's use of storybooks crosses the line from permissible influence to potentially impermissible indoctrination. And Garrett, I feel like you have strong feelings. Go. I do. I, uh, I do. Um, overall, in this country, we sh I'm not against banning a book uh, because banning books then turns to burning books. And I don't think that's ever okay in a society if they want to be free and if they want to critically think. However, when it comes to the teaching of our children, it is the number one, it is the parents' prerogative to determine what they should and should not read. When those children hit 18 and they go off to college or move out or whatever they do, go ahead and read whatever you want. But when we are sending them to government school, this is exactly, this is precisely indoctrination. This is what they want. It goes back to at least the 50s, if not earlier, when government school started becoming more and more um, part of the bureaucracy that we have. And look at it now. It's, they have the strongest union and they pretty much do whatever they want. And while you're going through that uh, article, it, it reminded me, because I had heard of this numerous times in the last, I don't know, decade, mm -hmm. of how To Kill a Mockingbird keeps getting banned or trying to get banned. And I pulled up an article just from this past May, where in Biloxi, Mississippi, of all places, they're trying to ban it because it makes people uncomfortable. I imagine you guys read it in high school, if not earlier than that. Earlier, and yeah. probably everybody in the chat and watching live or seeing this in the future has as well. I mean, it's, it's a classic. It's a fantastic book. There is a ton to garner from there and to say, and, and so it's getting banned. This book is getting banned. But now on the flip side, a judge is saying, no, LGBTQ plus and whatever other sexual related content, whatever other type of indoctrination they want to shove down our kids throats while we send them to the government for a minimum of eight hours a day for about 15 years of their life. That's not indoctrination. But yeah, go ahead and ban to kill a mockingbird because it makes people feel uncomfortable. I mean, the uh, the 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 forked tongue nature of of these type of decisions and rulings, uh, it, it just it, it drives me insane. Reasonably so. Um, when we had Tiffany Justice on from Moms for Liberty, one of the things she said is we don't we don't make um, book bannings part of our platform when it comes to public libraries because the public can do whatever they want. And there's an expectation that there's parental supervision in those areas. However, if we're talking about school libraries where you are going to be entrusting your children, that's where the line is drawn. And, and that's where she sees the, the nature of this impact and where parents need to get out there and say, look, if we're not gonna be chaperoning our kids at the school library, then we should curate a collection that's appropriate. Uh, Steve, you have any strong thoughts about this? I know you, you've been a, a parent and or a, a parent at a school board meeting, in fact, and also one who was told to go watch parents. So I imagine <laughs> you've got the both sides there. Yeah, yeah. I'm a domestic terrorist or a domestic violent extremist, I guess, from the, uh, the FBI's we? perspective or Carlton People's perspective. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. This just demonstrates that you cannot have a separation of church and state in a functional society. Clearly, this is a religion. 
and this is a necessary component of that. You have to educate your young about the tenets of your religion, and you have to make sacrifices in religion. You have to cast your kids into the fires of Malok to worship at the gods of LGBTQAI plus 2S tilde sign hashtag <laughs> at. At all uh, the other. <laughs> um, and it, so I, I think that, again, Kobayashi Maru, I'm not... I'm going to walk in and pull my kid out of that, or I'm not going to send my kid to school that day. And then we'll see when they come to the house and, and say, well, we're going to take your kid. And and we'll see who, who rallies behind that. Change, or you change, just, change the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, look, I'm not sending my kid to school. And if you say that he can't pass to the next grade, well, I guess you're going to have a glut of third graders because – you know, we might represent 10% or 15 or 20% of the, the voters or, or the uh, the conservatives in this area who get swamped in the election. But we're not uh, an insignificant number of people. And how are you going to handle third grade next year when you have 20% of the kids being held back? And the next year, the additional 20%. So now you're now you're at capacity and you're you're been overwhelmed by that. So we'll just use civil disobedience. Or I'm sure that they'll they would. They would send child protective services to the house and say you're contributing to the delinquency of a minor because you're failing to educate them. Right. Now we have an armed standoff because you're not coming into my my home to take my child away because I don't want them to be indoctrinated by your gay agenda. It is a gay agenda. Um Lest lest we have an insane revolt in the live chat, folks, if you are watching and you are on Rumble, please scroll down and hit the like button. We are having a a, a discussion that is happening on the sidebar Uh, and a special thanks to uh, Critter64 and to Eric Jason for encouraging that, folks. We do really appreciate the likes. It actually does. And somebody says dislike. I think that's the person that's dicking around with my uh, with my with my mic volume there. So we do appreciate the uh, the hackers that want to get involved. If you don't have a hacker and a hater then uh, you're not really doing it right. Let's uh, let's bring up another topic here that I think I want to continue onward. I don't want to spend too much time, but it is all, all these things are going to get to a single point. And I love that you guys are, are adopting the Kobayashi Maru sort of scenario because there is something really interesting about when you are facing a lose-lose scenario. And we are in a lose-lose in so many ways right now. All the options lead to either violence or destabilization. None of them get to an outcome that's favorable and probably not preferable even for the lib types. So if that's the case, we have to change the rules of the scenario. That's why I liked, you know, that's why we love Captain Kirk. The American way is it's not winnable. Let's see about that. Oh, there's too many people on the Nazi side. There's too many people that we're fighting in Japan. These are unwinnable wars. How about we create a new technology that no one's ever seen before and go drop it on a couple of cities? and end lives in a way that is so shocking that nobody can play the game anymore. They changed the scenario. It's an, it's an American tactic in many ways, uh, at least the way the America was kind of taught to me. Yeah, we didn't stand out in front of the Redcoats and just toe-to-toe because we knew we couldn't win that fight. Despite the fact that we're dealing with, you know, at, at the American Revolution, the strongest and greatest military that had ever been seen by the world at that point. And they were defeated by a bunch of people who just had strong ideas and new tactics. So the tactics are the things I'm talking about here. This is another piece from Daily Single Signal. Rather, uh, this is from Mary Margaret Olahan, who is a, uh, a wonderful lady who writes a bunch of pieces about Catholic interests. But I think this is just a, a general uh, conservative interest right now. It says how many imprisoned men who identify as transgender are guilty of sexual assault? More than half. New data shows. So you guys will be shocked to learn this as some as men who have thrown cuffs on both in the local and federal way that uh, guys who don't want to go to real prison choose to identify as women, especially predators, and then they end up being housed in women's prisons where they can victimize other prisoners. Is there anything more disgusting than creating a captive victim population? I'll go to uh, Garrett first on this one, too. No, absolutely not. I mean, this again is is part of this anti-god agenda that we are seeing that it's taken a foothold in our country everything has been flipped on its head even this what are prisons for they're to house the worst people in our society who commit the most atrocious crimes i know that isn't always the case um you know we that's a different rabbit hole to go down overall generally speaking that's what prisons are for even in the prison now we are turning people who used to victimize normal citizens of society. We're now turning them into victims because of this myth that there are 72 different genders or however many they're up to these days. And that, oh, a man who's in a, in a, in a male prison, he now claims that he's a woman and we must, because it's the right thing to do. We must transfer him to the woman's prison because he claims he's a woman. And then, oh, lo and behold, big shock. 
once they go to the woman's prison, they start raping people. Is anybody surprised by this? I mean, I just, oh man, it, this stuff that is so clear to anyone, like you don't even have to be a Christian. You just have to have simple, what used to be Western morality. And you can see uh, that the path we're on is one that leads only to destruction. I'll tell you this, uh, we seem to have attacked, uh, attract some of uh, Dan Bongino's McGroins. So welcome to any of the McGroins that join us. I see Knuckles McGroin in there. <laughs> Our live chat has gotten uh, kind of wild. Uh, before you get a chance on this, Steve, I want to read the actual facts they said. Of the 161 biological men who are housed in the Wisconsin Department of Corrections, so this is your world, Garrett. This is, your, these, this is down the road from you. Yep. Um, who have self-reported as transgender... So there's 161 biological males now claiming to be transgender. 81, which is 50.3%, have reportedly been convicted of at least one count of sexual assault or sexual abuse as of late July. These prisoners may have been convicted of additional offenses and on top of that that are not sexual offenses, but at least 50.3% of these people were sexual assault, sexual abuse, and shockingly, those people, these, these sex predators, are the ones that are identifying as transgender, 50%. Any thoughts on that one, Steve? Yeah, I want to see how many uh, were charged with sexual assault after becoming incarcerated. That would be an interesting stat to look at, but I don't think you'll find that. That, will, that won't be put out to the media here. I mean, I, look, when you commit a crime and you're convicted and sentenced in our society, you're, you don't lose all your rights. You, you lose your freedom, but uh, you still retain some rights, and one of those is a protection against cruel and unusual punishment. And I think that the females in those prisons who are now being housed and forced to room with male predators uh, have a pretty strong case to say that their rights are being violated. And and for our counterparts on the, the left wing uh, side of the political spectrum who are always arguing for basically emptying the prisons and arguing for prisoners' rights and voters' rights restored and gun rights. Well, not guns. They don't like guns. They don't like but, guns. I was going to say all the rights <laughs> except guns. All you can vote, but you guns. can't own guns. Guns are bad. But, but they are standing idly by because they've chosen a new victim that they think is better. And that is the person that says, uh, I'm a boy who's now going to say that I'm a girl. It's pretty straightforward. And the Eighth Amendment, right? That's that's our um, our prohibition against cruel and unusual. I just pulled it up just for for, for my own uh, memory and refreshing. Excessive bail should not be required. $200,000 seems like a lot of money uh, for President Trump coming in for a nonviolent anything with no actual convictions of anything. But no excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. What is more unusual and cruel than locking in a bunch of women with male sexual predators? And uh, somebody mentioned in the chat, too, like, what are the pregnancy rates that are going on in there? Isn't it amazing to imagine an increase in pregnancy rates in female uh, inmates who are only exposed to other female inmates? Yeah, it's like it's like Jurassic Park, right? They, That's right. Nature, nature finds a way. I guess so. The nature finds a way because men will lie about it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Eighth Amendment considerations happen with the January 6th people. We're just going to house them in a gulag and to keep issuing superseding indictments to keep them behind bars for years on end and never let them actually have their day in court. God forbid. Let's do this one, too, because all these are going to actually they're all going to link up to one small thing. You guys are going to be uh, amused. And Garrett, this will be a shock to you when we get it. But I sent Steve the article. This is another article that we're looking at here today. This is coming from Daily Wire and Zach Jewell. This is uh, Maui Fire Survivors say the authorities blocked only paved roads out of Lahana. As the town burned, survivors of the fire that swept through said the only paved road out was barricaded by authorities as the flames overcame the town. And the only way that people were able to escape was essentially they were disobeying the direct orders of the law enforcement that was involved in that. So this is uh, one of those instances of somebody who is doing their job, I'm sure. And I'll let Steve go first on this one. But these are people that were following orders, I have to imagine. And they were blocking the exit route. You can see just the devastation. Anybody who hasn't been paying attention to this, it's not very difficult for you to go out there and find an awful lot of really, really awful uh, footage and just see the destruction. And most of them show burned out husks of cars that are sitting on a roadway. So here we have a uh, local police were shutting down the only the only paved road and the easy access to getting out of there. Yeah, I, I think you have to... It's it's easy to assign malice here when obviously it's government and there's incompetences should always be your primary directive when, when you're assigning blame. Um, I think to me, it's a tendency to not to not act to freeze in that and that fight or flight or freeze. Yep. People freeze when it comes time to make decisions in government because they are worried about accountability. It's you're not going to be held. Nobody ever gets fired for doing nothing. So your better option for your career uh, longevity is to. I'm going to email my supervisor 
and find out what they want me to do. That way I can always pass the buck and there's a record of me asking my supervisor and therefore I will evade all responsibility here. Uh, and I, I just, I'm reminded of, of Chernobyl with that, where it was like completely, we're, we're going to cut off these people here and, and we're going to try to avoid accountability. We're going to shift blame. We're going to say, oh, well, we had this nuclear meltdown, but what about Three Mile Island over in America? It's really America's fault. Mm. And, and I'm waiting on on that to sort of play out. And I guess you know, we'll probably get that from the, the the climate change or the global warming people will say something like that. And they won't talk about the fact that they had water available to stop it or a, alert system. And they said, no, we're not going to use that because we have to be sensitive and, and uh, not use water to combat fire. Right, because that would uh, offend the water gods and or it would be doing something when nothing was easier. Gary, you want to talk a little bit about uh, when you're in the military and, and sort of the rulings, the teachings that they they put in through basic training about unlawful orders and what those look like uh, in the wake of what happened in Vietnam and some other places. Obviously, war crimes are all over the place. Right. Yeah, it's you are taught on one hand to obey orders no matter what. That's the point of your military in dock. But part of that, and it's a very important part is that when you receive an immoral or unlawful order, you cannot follow it. So people might think, well, wait, militaries, you know, they are just, you know, lockstep, just obeying orders. Yeah, by and large, that's true. But in the American military, there's that one exception to following those orders when they are illegal and immoral. <clears throat> and in this case, you know, I, I think of a half a dozen different situations, uh, just from the US military, you had the the My Lai massacre in Vietnam, uh, you had uh, the Black Hearts in Iraq or Kill Squad in Afghanistan. I mean, there's countless ones uh, that we can point to where it's bad leaders and then people doing what people do, just simply following orders because it's the path of least resistance. And this article, these government officials blocking the road, incompetence, I don't care what it is, it's evil, it's wrong. And it, it made me think while you were reading that, it said the only people who escaped and survived were the people who didn't follow the lawful order, essentially. Right. Because if the government is blocking the road, you accept in our society that that's a lawful order. And it, made, it makes me think of Romans 13, one of the most abused passages of scripture over the past few years. And I think it's only going to continue to be. But part of it says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. Okay. When you are the government and your, your primary job is to preserve life and liberty and you're blocking the road, you have flipped your God-ordained purpose on its head. You are no longer being a servant for, for good. You are being a servant for evil. And when that happens, I mean, I, I don't know what you do because the government is standing there blocking the road so you burn to death? Like, this is... That, that's something that you really have to accept, Steve. Maybe uh, reflect on that in light of what happened at uh, Uvalde because that's what immediately occurred to me when I read this article. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I would look back to, to that and, and even the conversations I had after that with uh, people within the FBI where they were uh, saying that, well, no, the police acted correctly there and should have stood by in the hallway idly as this guy just executed child after child after child when they listened and put Purell on their hands while they sat there and played on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you just have to recognize what your duties and responsibilities are, and that's not following orders to, to come down from on high from whoever um, it's recognizing what the situation is. And, and I've said since the beginning, since Uvalde happened, and there was you know, obviously the, the evil of that, the person that went in there and killed those kids, um, that aside, the worst person in that scenario was the officer that went over. There was one of the officers, uh, his wife was a teacher. Right. And they took his gun away. I said, the officer who took his gun away is the worst person on earth. How do you go up to that guy and not say, I, I got your back. Let's go now. It's roll time. Yes, it's t it's time to you got to get in a gunfight today. That today is your day, and so, and, and <laughs> both of you guys have my one hundred percent support. If there's a moment where that happens, where it's like it's two of us, there's ten people, and they have your family hostage, we're going. Uh, and, and I'll and I'll leave this as a thought because my, my buddy who was my my neighbor in Virginia, who is a hyper masculine former MMA fighter, just like a power lifter freakish. He's my size and he lifts like six times what I do. And I, and I always really appreciated his take on it. He said, if you are saving up your life to die for some reason, 
what in the world are you saving it for other than to go into a hail of bullets to go save children? Is there anything that you could do better with your life than that, to lay down your life for people who will never know you, for children who haven't had a chance to live yet? I mean, that's literally why people join the military and why people jump on grenades and why people go into doors. Uh, you know, that is the mindset. It's like we're going in to save life. The people who, uh, the heroic guys who were on the hostage rescue team, we had a, you know, it may be a small example of it, but there was a guy that jumped in through the bunker in Alabama and just threw his body down on a kid and basically said, you know, I'm going to take fire and someone's going to have to come do it. And I think he ended up almost severing a hand or a thumb uh, going through razor wire and all this kind of stuff. This is the kind of heroism we expect of law enforcement. And there are small examples of it. And so they are not without examples in this country. And yet, if you're not willing to throw your body into the breach to stop something like children, or if you're not willing to tell your commander or whoever your your authority is, your supervisor in a law enforcement entity, hey, you know what? I'm not going to lock down this road. There's a freaking fire coming through and these people need to get out. In fact, I'm going to run down the line and get people moving more quickly. Yeah. Like clear the roads that way because I'm sending everybody in. They're getting it, it, out of this. That's the only it's thing. It's a value. It's a recognition of value. That's you're, right. you're basically saying that my job is more valuable than those lives. But my job to take this guy's gun away is more valuable uh, than his ability and, and my ability to go in there and try to save his wife and save those children. That's right. And we talked about this yesterday with Jacob, honestly. I mean, if you think about it, this was actually some of the topics that was brought up. It's like uh, if you say that people who will do small things wrong and uh, and he talked about how an agent lied to him when he said, listen, I don't care whether you're going to arrest me or not. Just tell me so I can say bye to my mom and uh, you know make sure my dog is going to be fed. And then he sits down and they said, no, 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 we're not going to arrest you. And the first thing they do is read him his rights. The dishonesty that takes place in that very, very small space. And we've all been in that scenario where you've had somebody surrender in and you have the choice. You could be honest with them or not. And there may be reasons why you're not going to be honest with somebody. But if somebody's already agreeing to it, like, so what if, so what if Jacob Chansley decided to go for a run and escape? Like the U.S. Marshals would run him down. That's what they do. And, and I've always felt like it was no big deal. It's like, if you want to run, you're going to run. I'm not going to stop you. And you're going to run anyway. So why would I try to con you into here as a ruse? I'd rather just tell you honestly, because then we have an, uh, an easy expectation. And in the case of this, we have people doing things in small matters, and they can't be trusted in the great matters, which is yet another biblical passage, I'm sure, that is uh, resounding in your head right over there, uh, Garrett. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the servant who can't be trusted in small matters cannot be trusted in great matters. And right. law enforcement is systematically sort of eliminating their ability to be trusted in things like this. This probably was a decent human being. I'm sure that this will haunt this guy forever. Has to. I mean, it, it better. It ought to. Right. Because how, how can you look yourself in the mirror after that and say, can you honestly look yourself in the mirror and, and proudly say, I was doing my duty? No. I mean, and if you are, you're lying to yourself. I that's, mean, that's the only way you justify it, but it's not righteous. It's not righteous no, work. Absolutely not. I don't want to dwell on this too long because we're going to get somewhere with this and I'm going to, I'm going to get you guys there. So here we go. This is a, uh, a, an interesting article that came from realclearreligion.org. I just said attacks on institutions, Catholic institutions should concern all of us. So those of you who are not Catholic and you see that I, I preach a lot about uh, going to check out Catholic vote, it's because Catholic votes priorities are a representation of the larger Christian apparatus in America. And so what they're showing here, there's a 42-year-old man who broke into Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church in Manhattan, vandalized a large crucifix. I'm sure it was very, very valuable uh, when it comes to material worth, but also the uh, symbolic attack on there is not nothing. It's the third attack against a Catholic church site in New York alone since June. That's relevant. And there's also nationwide examples that are within the last couple of days, including in El Paso, which is a very Catholic area, as many of you may know, because it's full of people who came in from Mexico and has a lot of cross-border sympathies, which is a very Catholic area. Um, there's something really wrong about this is what he says. This guy says, I'm Jewish. I'm not Catholic. This is really the key for me. Uh, but I'm raising my, my voice now on behalf of those under attack, as I did years ago. If you are willing to tolerate attacks on any faith, then there's a very strong possibility that they will be coming for you at some point. And the fact that this is not going on right now is going to pivot me. I don't want to dig deeply into this. We're going to talk real quickly about someone from the FBI, and this is going to get somewhere in just a second. So bear with us, folks. We're, we're going to sew this all up. This is a, a quick little article from the Jacksonville.com. This is uh, the Jacksonville News Source. Uh, the Florida Times Union over there. See, this is your stomping grounds. And sure it was a is. discussion about the color of law, understanding the FBI's role in excessive use of force investigations. And it was uh, featuring a, a guest named Carlton Peoples. Why do we know the name Carlton Peoples? Carlton Peoples, currently the special agent in charge of the uh, Birmingham 
field office of the FBI, uh, was formerly the acting deputy assistant director of the criminal investigative division of the FBI. He is the one who issued the guidance to label parents at school board meetings with the threat tag of EDU threats. Did you see? So, uh, did you say the criminal division or we or the counterterrorism division? I thought it was criminal. So he was at counterterrorism. He was CTD, okay. and so Carlton Peoples was the was the assistant director over there. Interestingly enough, for folks. That means he was the guy that generated the EDU officials threat, which is means he was the one who directed the FBI agents to do investigations into parents at school boards. Here he is right there. You see him on the screen. This is a uh, Birmingham Times where he is now currently posted. You said this was a, a strong puff piece. Do you want to talk about highlights from it? And I'll kind of scroll through it for him. Yeah, he just kind of go, goes into his background of, of getting into the FBI and coming from, um, uh, you know, as a as a black man in America and in the communities there that have this tremendous distrust for for law enforcement and that complicates things. Um, but I, I kind of was able to make it through the whole article without vomiting, got to the end. And I always look for the timeline for these careerists. And he's just no different than anybody else. Six the years bare, of investigative. Six years investigative experience and immediately elevated up the chain of command. So you have somebody now who's ascended into the upper echelons of senior executive service who has the bare minimum experience as an FBI agent, but he's going to be supervising and, and leading effectively large swaths of, of special agents in the FBI. Let me read this real quick too. This is uh, by Ryan Michael, so we'll give him credit. Um, it says... This is uh, Carlton Peoples' direct quote. He says, uh, the FBI was probably perceived by my parents and my grandparents more as an enemy than as a friend. But of course, today, it's something different. It's about helping people. It's about giving back. I think you can ask anybody in law enforcement. You don't do it to get rich. For the most part, I think those in law enforcement are about giving back to the community, helping people, and wanting to be a part of something positive. I wish you could get more of a puff piece. Do you want to know something funny about Carlton Peoples that I, I did not know when I exposed that document? Go for it. I had no idea he was a black diversity hire who had the limited amount of, I, I never even occurred to me to even think about what the guy was. And yet he spent his time in the civil rights division. I always find it really interesting that they always put the civil, like they put black guys in charge of the civil rights division uh, as though somebody else couldn't do it. You know, I will tell you, there's very few people who would be more offended by abuse of the police doing uh, investigations under color of law, which is to say representing authorities they don't have than guys like you and me. Right. Yeah. The like, suspendables are like despise this sort of thing. And mm -hmm. yet it's always a black guy that's in charge of it. I don't know what do they despise it more? Are they better investigators? I don't know. But it's always interesting because every single person I've seen in charge as special agents in charge that ran these civil rights divisions, they're always black guys. And I and I just don't know why that is the case. You know, it's what's funny about that is early on, like even in the hiring process for the FBI, one of the main uh, driving factors for me was to work public corruption cases primarily into violations of color of law. Me too. And I'm a white guy. Yeah. You know, and it's like that that shouldn't matter at all. Uh, you know, you know, my my last line shirt with the blue line flag. I know I'm sure a lot of people who might see that might think, you know, oh yeah, back the blue. Yeah, I do. I do back the blue. When they do the the job the correct way, when they uphold their constitutional oath the correct way, when they use their authority to violate law under the color of that law, that is one of the most atrocious things uh, when it comes to to being a quote-unquote public servant. So it shouldn't matter what color you are, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's it's kind of like a, a form, I was almost going to say reverse racism, but that's that's a misnomer. It's straight up racist it's against- It's just racism. Yeah, it's racist against white people. It's racist against everybody, even the black people, because, oh, well, he's black, so let's put him in charge of the civil rights division. Like- and then a lot of these people like Carlton Peoples, they just march along with it because why not? Why not? I mean, I'm just I'm just climbing the ladder and I'm going to use the, the pigmentation of my skin, which I had no control over. God just created me as, as this type of person. I'm going to use that to, to just keep climbing on up. I mean, it just is it's just disgusting. And if he's if he's not concerned with getting rich and his driving force in his career is civil rights. I want to know, uh, did he turn down his senior executive service bonus when they hit their IPM quota metrics on domestic terrorism because he opened up a certain number of J6 cases? Uh, more importantly, did he decide that he was going to step down and be a case agent and do investigations since he uh, obviously missed out on some of that opportunities? 
I mean, you figure that that guy has the same amount of investigating experience as any one of us, maybe less than some of you guys who had local police time, but certainly it's the same amount that I had. Like I would have been qualified to go on and do management apparently based on their their time. I spent my six years in the field office as well. And and to me, that would be appalling if that was the yeah. only experience I had to go out there and uh, and try to lead the organization. I would have been embarrassed for myself because there's no way that makes any sense. Let's keep moving on talking. We're going to continue to badmouth and we're... we're we're getting towards the end here, but let's let's badmouth a little further what happened in Richmond. Uh, this is a uh, article coming from the Washington Examiner. Many of you may not have known this happened yesterday. The FBI Richmond official who oversaw the memo targeting Catholics uh, out of the, the Richmond field office was testifying in front of Congress. This is an article by Ashley Oliver. I'm just going to read some of it for you here. The FBI official responsible for overseeing the controversial document that uh, this yours truly exposed with the help of a whistleblower inside the FBI appeared before the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday to testify about the matter. Stanley, I don't know who this is, Stanley Medor, I don't know Stanley, actually, uh, special agent in charge of Richmond's field office. So this is the sack that's over there, spoke to the committee for several hours behind closed doors, just the way that you guys have, uh, according to two sources familiar with the interview. So somebody's leaking this already. I'm sure it'll be 100% defense of everything. We did the right thing in the right way. I can't imagine they did anything else. It says the uh, the document, which was issued internally within the FBI's Richmond field office in January and leaked to the media. I wonder if they actually uh, credit us here. What do you think? Did they credit us? Let's click. Doubtful. <laughs> here it is. Dunleavy. Does it have any? Does, are we going to credit uh, UncoverDC.com and the Kyle Serafin work here? What do you think? I'm scrolling through it just to see. No, no. I won't hold my breath. Look oh, at that hair, man. It's oh, just so perfect. I just want to <laughs> shave his head. Uh, <laughs> nope, no Kyle Serafin credited there. That's okay. Um, the work was done. It wasn't about credit. It was about getting it out there. Anyhow, this guy was named in the letter that the FBI wrote to the committee on the 28th, saying he was one of the officials involved. Also included the person who retracted it, and he met with Catholic leaders in the area. Uh, you guys have any sense about what goes on when you get an Intel product like that approved and how it works? That would have gone up through a significant number of chains of people, including a, uh, a supervising intelligence analyst like our friend George Hill, uh, probably would have seen uh, the desk of a, at least an ASAC, Assistant Special Agent in Charge. That would have been pushed over into ODNI, which is another problem that I see here where Christopher Ray still insists that it was scrubbed from the, the servers of the FBI. Well, right. what about ODNI? It's, it's still there. So... We're, yeah, the other question is this. Can you actually, if this was a violation of First Amendment rights and therefore a violation under color of law, are they allowed to scrub evidence from what was going on inside the FBI systems? When they said that they were getting rid of it, I was always like, oh, really? You're getting rid of the like, thing that showed that you've done something wrong because it's wrong? Is, is that obstruction of official proceeding? Is, Sounds like it. Is somebody going to get a Sarbanes-Oxley uh, violation there? Are we going to see the Intel analysts held to account for the things that they are putting out into the world. It's just, it's an interesting question. And what that leads to is our final here. This is the wrap up folks. And this is something I found very interesting. This is uh, from a, a website that I'd never seen before called thecatholicthing.org, written by Randall Smith. And the entire article is on the formal and material cooperation with evil. I'm going to read a little bit of it, of it because I think it's really interesting. Uh, discussion, he basically leads off by saying he had a discussion with somebody, and this is where it came out. There's a classic case, much discussed and must, much disagreed upon, that involves a servant who is told to carry a ladder to a house which his master intends to use to climb up a window so he can commit adultery with a mistress of the house. So the scenario is... Um, servant has to carry ladder. Ladder is going to be used to facilitate abortion. This is... Is this material support? Is this formal support? And so on. So the question is, everybody agreed, at least in, in the past, that adultery was a sin and it was evil. It was something we shouldn't do. So the question to the degree of culpability of the servant's cooperation with evil, that's the question that we are trying to do. Is it formal? Is it material? And disagreements are always rife with a bunch of people as they consider the actual details, which are going to be discussed here. And I'm going to kind of throw it out to you guys. So did the, the servant know what his master intended? I want you to put yourself not in the question of the person carrying a ladder to go do adultery. But let's think about the police officer who says, I'm not going to let my friend go in and save his wife. Or the police officer who says, you can't drive through this road because I'm told that you can't come out even though there's a fire coming. Did the servant know what his master intended to do? Did he know and concur with the plan? Did he know, but he was resistant? Was he resistant and trying to convince the master otherwise? Was he resistant but said nothing? Did he know his master's plan? Did he not know it, but should he have known it? especially as they approached the house, or in this case, as they approached uh, a road where there was fire burning. Should he have questioned at that point whether his master intended some evil? Was his ignorance culpable or non-culpable? 
Could we say that his intention was simply to aid the master and avoid punishment and not to help the man commit adultery or, in this case, facilitate the burning alive of people in their cars? And the question is, should he have been able to foresee the result, even if he didn't intend it? In which case, would he be innocent of guilt or would he still be guilty of it? There's all of these sort of uh, questions. And this this article is fascinating. I think you guys should uh, give it some time. You can actually find it. It's just called On Formal and Material Cooperation with Evil from thecatholicthing.org. Let's let's uh, talk about this in sort of a more uh, formal way. Garrett, I'd, I'd be really curious about your thoughts on formal versus material support of evil. Yeah, it's uh, it's really an interesting topic. When you texted me this morning, I was like, huh, I don't think I've ever heard of that. So I briefly looked into it as much as I could. And uh, it's an it's a it's a very interesting rabbit hole to go down. And in the case of this servant or in the greater realm of a government servant or, or really just anybody for that matter. If you know the intentions, I, I think the answer is clear. Uh, and, and and you're basically falling back onto the superior orders defense, which we know is it's a failed moral uh, foothold that, that you're going to take if you're going to do that. Superior orders for people. That's the, I'm just following orders, even if the orders really were illegal. Right. Now, if you don't know the intent of your master, uh, now it's time to use your brain and rely on your training, uh, your your experience and say, hmm, is this order that they're giving me, could it potentially lead to actually being a violation of my morals, of my position, of the law? And I, I think most, most people that I have worked with in government, whether it be military, police, or FBI, I would say the vast majority of them are smart enough and have lived enough of a life to know what the potential outcome might be. And then to start get those wheels turning and think, am I actually going to violate my oath by following this order? And I don't know, maybe people like us, uh, because we're, we're so few in number, um, actually contemplate and think about these things more than others. Like I used to think that that was normal, that, that everybody thought that way, but apparently Apparently that's not not the case. Yeah, I want to give Steve a chance to, to respond to that as well. Thoughts on that? I gave you a chance to read the article beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I had two experiences that I think were kind of relevant to that. One was the Whitmer case where I didn't know that we were kind of coming in with these guys who had been entrapped until after the fact. So as much as I feel bad for what happened there, I don't I don't think that I'm personally accountable for what I did there because I was just ignorant to to that information. Mm-hmm. But I did take from that a lesson that I needed to make myself more aware of things going forward when that came to pass. So, you know, I don't, I don't feel necessarily that the remorse from that standpoint, but, you know, take that to the, to the January 6th objections that I had. And I said, look, I, I once shame on, on you twice, shame on me. Uh, I think that I'm contributing here. And, and they, they tried to minimize it. And they said, look, you're only driving the subject to the magistrate. That's all you're doing. It's just your, tra- you're an Uber, your transport. And yet and, uh, so- you're still part of the overall operation. Correct. Correct. I mean, you can get into the weeds and get, you know, the IM pencil, you know, do you blame the guy who is at a, working at a plant that manufactures rubber that is then put into a tire that's put on the car? You know, it's, you know, there's way too much uh, interaction in a global economy to, to blame everybody for everything. But I think if you can draw a direct correlation, direct line, it's you have to uh, take a stand on that. The idea that you would learn from your experience and you had eight years of uh, local law enforcement. Is that correct? Before going into the FBI or is it the other way? Five local and uh, and and nine nine FBI. So you figure that even in that time, 15 years in or 14 plus years in as you're going through, you're still learning these things. Um, not to, we'll just have a little bit of moment of levity because you, you said, you know, fool me once. Uh, it brought up the famous George W. Bush quote for me. I had to go look it up to get it right. He said, you know, it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee too. They say, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me. Well, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> right? Inartful, inartful. That's right. But uh, yeah, you you should not be fooled again once you've seen it. You you had an opportunity to see something. You looked at it and you said, the thing that was presented to me is not the same thing that I experienced. There was a fundamental disconnect between the orders given and the operation that was conducted. And when that happens, it is my responsibility as an agent to look into myself as an agent of the government of any level, state, local, federal. This is on incumbent upon all people, military as well. 
you may be ordered to do something that you do and don't have full awareness. And that's the culpability of if the man shows up to the house and doesn't understand what it is and he puts the ladder up and then he realizes as he goes back up, as the guy comes back down, that he's been committing adultery. The next time the master orders him to move that ladder, he's now complicit in it because he has an awareness and an understanding. So he has no excuse to not know what is happening. And I have to believe there's a possibility that the guy standing at that road had never considered the possibility that he was shutting down the way out. I, I imagine it'll haunt him for the rest of his life. But the other possibility is, is that this is not the first time someone has asked him to do something that was either illegal, immoral, or unethical without his awareness, and his questioning should have been much higher. And that's what we really need to expect. They always tell you that it's not the problem with law enforcement per se. It's the people that's always in it. It's no policy or procedure that will save us. The Durham report said the same. It's people that has to adhere to their oath and they have to actually have the moral character to do the job that they're requested to do. And I think it's really a big deal. Um, either of you guys have closing thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think it's a huge deal. I mean, and, and two, like, don't get me wrong. Like, the thing I'm most concerned about rectifying is my own character flaws, my own sin nature. I'm not saying I do it perfect every time, but you damn well need to do your best and build off you know, every experience we have in life should be a building block. And so I think that's why by the time I started whistleblowing, it was so abundantly clear that some of the things that were going off the rails, where it was like, I can't, I can't willfully continue because this is evil, this is wrong. And therefore, it's causing me to sin. And maybe in the past, I was the guy putting the ladder up, and I didn't know. Yep. But in the future, I did know, because it's incumbent on us, and I think especially in law enforcement or even other sectors of government, to know we must because we are supposed to be, like I said earlier, Romans 13, we are supposed to be servants of God for your good, for the people's good. Right. And if we stand in the way of that, then then the whole thing is flipped on its head. And and that, then we're, we're not, if we're not servants of God for good, who are we serving? True. Steve? Final thoughts on that, and we'll we'll read out here. Yeah, I just uh, I think you just have to be the people in law enforcement have to be the type of person that really realizes the ramifications of what you do on a day to day basis. You might be saving a baby from a snake, or you might be chasing a bad guy down a flight of stairs somewhere. But no matter what you do, uh, you have impact on people that is long. It's it, it way outlives your your career, and and. Because of that fact, you always have to t take that into account. I still think back to people who I, I either arrested or didn't arrest and, and the impact that that had. Um, and that that sort of mentality should be the norm in law enforcement. And it shouldn't just be just follow orders and go do what I tell you to do. Totally true. Um, the thing that I, I mentioned, I was uh, had Alpha and uh, my show with him last night. And one of the things it's like the, the day that inter interactions happen with law enforcement is everyday interactions for people who do law enforcement. And it is probably some of the most consequential experiences and memories for the people that are not in it. The, that moment that you interact, that, that choice that you make, like you said, it has very long reaching implications for them, even if it's just your day-to-day -day operations. And, and taking that responsibility seriously is something I know you guys did, uh, something I always felt like, like you're representing a much bigger force that you will never know how it will play out. Where the, you, know, you never know what that kindness or that sternness may, may do when it echoes down into history for that person as they instruct their children, as they go forward and tell that story somewhere else, as somebody else decides to be fair or unfair with law enforcement in front of them because of their previous experience with you. So really important, really impactful stuff. And unfortunately, maybe not thought about nearly as much. But if you're in law enforcement, if you're in the military, if you have those positions of government authority, you really need to reflect on where you're at right now. Uh, gents, give them your handles, let them know where they can follow you. And we will wrap this show up. And I really do appreciate both of you guys jumping in with me. At real Steve friend on Twitter at real underscore Steve friend on truth social. And I got a jet, got a conference call. All right, jump Later on. Guys. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Garrett. At GOB actual anywhere, pretty much truth, Twitter, um, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for jumping on this morning. I'm glad yeah. that your hair is dried. looks like your shirt is dried too, buddy. Uh, you guys have a good weekend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas on this Friday, August the 25th. And uh, for those of you who are paying attention in the live chat, yes, my wife's water did break overnight and we are waiting on baby maybe today. So expect a recorded show with Mickey Willis on Monday. That's my expectation for you. Um, I do really appreciate all of you. I want to say thanks for all of you for watching. All of you who have hit the, the like button and that are in the live chat there. It's been great and I've been watching it. And 
and catching a piece of it. I, I really appreciate the conversation you guys are adding to what we are doing right here. Um, you can leave us a five-star review in the show notes. You'll notice there is a link directly to Apple and you can uh, leave one just like Sandy Sue 10M did on the 18th says, you give me hope. I love your show. I'm so thankful that you and Steve Friend are out there and brave enough to stand up. Your interviews remind me of family dinners with pastors, lawyers, judges, business owners, and Democrats and Republicans all discussing politics, religion, and life. I'd sit at the table and watch the vigorous discussion. Now I'm 70 plus, and I listen to your podcast as I clean, drinking in all the discourse. I miss people not being able to debate at holiday dinners. We would not be making the mistakes in the voting booth. I tend to agree with you, Sandy. Thank you. That's a that's a, a profound thought. The ability for us to communicate with each other is so important and having these conversations. I mentioned earlier before we got started, the reasons why I'm willing to let people say anything they want on this podcast. It's their story. It's not mine. And I trust that you guys will make your own decisions about it. I don't have to interject myself in. And that's why I really liked hearing what uh, Jacob Chansley had to say yesterday. It's his story. Uh, it, it's not mine. So I don't have any, any say in it. And honestly, I have no bearing on it. I just was facilitating you understanding it the way that I can, uh, clawing it out. So thanks so much for listening to our show. Uh, we're missing Ryan Matta today, but you can always follow him at Ryan Matta Media, M-A-T-T-A on Twitter and at Ryan Matta on True Social. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. Make sure you do hit that like button and you can always join us. Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin for our live shows. They are at 9.30 Eastern time, 8.30 here in Texas, America. And please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Let me see if we can actually set this audio up because I've been still fighting that little goofy, uh, that little bug, but here it is. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you guys after the weekend. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.